0: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. Welcome to Struggle Care. I'm your host, Casey Davis, and I'm taking a break this August, but I'm replaying for you some of my most downloaded episodes. And today we're going to talk about professional organizing. Doesn't it feel like something that only really rich people who have their life together do? Well, it's not. And I want to talk today About that, with Allison Lush. Since 2010, she's been studying everything related to how we manage our belongings, ideas about what we need, acquisition, ownership, organization, lifestyle, habits, decision making, emotional attachments, and letting go. She is a professional organizer that's certified in chronic disorganization. She brings a person centered approach to organizing. And it's really a different take on organizing than I've ever heard before. So if you're someone who struggles in your home and you really wish that you could be a little more organized, but you need a gentle approach, this is for you. Grab a drink of water, take your meds, and take care of yourself. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on today because when I started my TikTok channel and I started talking about, you know, cleaning being morally neutral and having your home serve you and not the other way around, I remember stumbling on your content and being like, oh shit, she gets it. Like this is someone who I could totally see. I would invite her in to organize my home and you just had such a kind and gentle presence and i feel like that is not something that i see a lot in organizers like usually you think of you know a personal organizer or professional organizer as someone who is like let's get it let's go you know we're going to organize these books into rainbow color And, but you just had such a different presence. And I wondered if you could talk just a minute about,
1: you know, how did you get that way? Well, I have to start by saying, I'm going to take a little pause here and say, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. I am a massive big fan of yours. And I send everybody to your page. I say, if you're following me, you have to be following Casey Davis (laughs) because she is the bomb. There's, it's amazing the the voice that you've created and the platform you've created. And I'm so grateful for your presence on social media because people, obviously, need to hear what you are saying and you add weight and volume to what I'm saying so I want to say thank you and congratulations just need to get it's really important to honor what you've done it's tremendous amount of work so oh thank you well, it's all very true. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that we found each other. How did I get to where I am? The short story, because people can read a little bit about my background on my website. I don't let's not waste time getting into that. I fell into the world of professional organizing and I landed quite quickly in two thousand and ten in a school, a professional school for professional organizers called the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. and, I just felt comfortable there. That's like those people, they just resonated with me in the way that they were talking. It's like I wanted to buddy up with them and I wanted to invite them into my home. The vibe was just like all about where I felt comfortable. And the way I describe it today, my industry, is that there's a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum are people like me. And on the other end of the spectrum are people who are mad crazy about organizing the stuff. And there is nothing wrong with that because there are clients who want that. There are clients, that's all they want, come and make my house pretty, and that's what I want. And because that's a, it's an open market and there's people who need that, the fact that organizers specialize in that, more power to them. But there's this other end of the spectrum where what I'm focusing on is people, I'm not really very concerned about the books and about the boxes and about the cups and all that stuff. What I'm concerned about is the person and how they feel in their home. Does the person feel okay in their home? Do they feel comfortable in their home? Do they feel functional in their home? Because if we don't feel good in our home, that launches us for the whole rest of our life and it impacts on how we can accomplish whatever it is we want to accomplish in our lives whether we're a full-time parent or we're working full-time or we're volunteering or we're retired and just wanting to have you know spend time doing recreation doesn't matter what we're trying to do in our life our home and the way we interact with our home and our belongings and our stuff and our space and our time The way we manage that is our foundation for the rest of our life. So the better we manage those things, the better able we are to accomplish our goals in life, which is what is the target.
0: I feel like that's where you and I really resonated with each other was that we're both focusing on a person's relationship to their space, right? Not just their performance in their space or the aesthetics of their space, but that the real work and the real reward is the relationship to their space.
1: And the measure that I use to identify where are the issues is literally, how do you feel? Like I see the way your desk is, you showed me a picture of your desk. I don't have any judgment about that. I don't care if it's piled up to the ceiling. My question is, how do you feel about your desk? If you feel fine about your desk and it's working for you, let's talk about something else. If you're unhappy about your desk and it's causing you problems, do you wanna talk about it? do you want to talk about it? Because even if it's a problem for the person, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready or willing or able to deal with it.
0: Yes, and if you push that, they're more likely to kind of go to this protective space where they're not going to be honest, they're not going to be open, they're not going to call you back for the second session. And, you know, what you're describing about, you know, does it bother you, is similar to when I talk about, you know, does it work? That's all, does it function? And that changes over a lifetime too, because I'm someone who has almost always functioned just fine with clothes strewn about the floor and dishes being done every 3 days and you know nothing really having a a formal organization but I always kind of knew where everything was that worked for me for most of my life it really wasn't until I had my second kid that all of a sudden those sort of pseudosystems began to sort of groan under the weight of the extra family labor. And that's when, you know, my platform launched was me going, oh, my God, I have to go back to the drawing board. Like, I have to figure out some new ways existing in this space, because things that were working are now not
1: working. hmm. The way that that shows up in my work is what I say to people is organizing should be organic, our lives are changing all the time. The things that we own are changing all the time. Our interests and habits and lifestyle and daily routines are changing all the time. And so if we focus on the stuff in the space, we're only dealing with today's problem. What about next year? What about two years from now? So what I try to focus on is the human being and their understanding of themselves because they carry themselves in where whatever situation they're in, whatever time they're in, whatever needs they're in they carry themselves. So if they can focus on their own understanding and their skills, they carry that wherever they're going. It empowers them to be able to face whatever challenges they have in the future. I don't want people hiring me now to organize their cupboard and then for them to have to organize, hire me again next year when they change what's in the cupboard. I want them to be able to organize their cupboard next year.
0: Yes, that's awesome. Okay. I feel like we could talk forever, but I really want to get into some of these questions because I've had people writing in and I picked out a few that I felt like would be really good for us to talk about. And here we go. So this is from Samantha and she says, I grew up moving around and I have a lot of emotional issues and shame around resisting getting rid of stuff and decluttering, but I also have ADHD and I feel overwhelmed by the clutter and it affects my functionality. Any tips, both in terms of practicality, so ways to make it's easier to let go of things i need to let go of and in terms of philosophy your messes morally neutral mantra has already been such a difference so i love this question i feel like this is right up your alley and i would love to hear your thoughts it touches
1: on a couple of really big issues what is the meaning of our stuff how does our physical stuff from our past add value to our life today so there's our memorabilia type stuff and then there's the stuff we're actually using today and how do they actually live in our physical space I encourage people to develop a personalized environment so that they have what they need. So if they need it in front of their face, it's in front of their face. If they need peace and quiet in front of their face, that's what they have. So I encourage everybody to look inside, pay attention to how you respond to your space. Does it help you and make you feel calmer when you can see all your stuff? Or does it make you feel calmer when you can't see all your stuff? For example, that's the first thing. Are you hypo-visually sensitive or hyper-visually sensitive? And the same thing with space and with touch. If we can pay attention to how we react physically, personally to everything around us, we gather information that helps us therefore create personalized solutions. So that's one element. Second of all, the ADHD thing is a whole package unto itself. And there are so many specialists who talk specifically about ADHD. I talk about it a little bit on my platform, but not because there's so many people out there who that's all they talk about. I tend to defer to them. It is a personal path and it's real And it affects the way that a person interacts with their space and their time and their focus and their attention. And learning about yourself is the number one powerhouse thing that you can do, and it will change over time. So this year, whatever you learn about yourself and your ADHD, it could be different six months from now or two years from now. Be ready for paying attention to change.
0: So she says she grew up moving around and that gave her a lot of emotional issues about
1: getting rid of things. Right. So that's an issue that is like a really big topic of conversation on my page because I hear and I see people and the issue of shame and expectations and judgment. And I think that our society in general does us a tremendous disservice by setting up this notion that life is supposed to be like anything specific, It's supposed to be like this for all of us. I reject that and I encourage everybody to reject that. I don't think it helps us. I think what helps us is to figure out what works for us. So when people come to me and they say, I have all of this stuff and I don't know if I should be keeping it or not. I ask them digging, we delve down, we dig down and ask questions about what value is it adding to your life? Is it actually adding value to your life? That's really super important. The second question is what is it costing you? does it cost you anxiety and stress every single month that you've got those 12 boxes of memorabilia sitting there? Or are they just sitting there and they're not bothering you at all? So the more we can get clear about the costs of owning the stuff and the benefits of owning the stuff, the more it helps massage us towards finding our own personal answer of just to what extent it's problematic to be owning that stuff. Because we I do not believe that we should be allowing other people to be pressuring us to get rid of our stuff. That's not an answer that's helpful. It's just not helpful. I kind of love where you're going
0: with this because that's where I always start with people, too, because we do have these sort of external ideas, you know, like minimalism is really big right now. And people talking about, you know, you just you have to have a peaceful space, but they're sort of saying that the only way to have a peaceful space is to have a minimalist space. And so I do think there are people out there thinking, oh, I've got to declutter, I've got to declutter. But you know, if you jump right to teaching them how to declutter, you can sometimes miss what you're talking about, which is, is this even a problem? Exactly. Some people love to have their stuff around them. Some people have a peaceful place. So I want to give kudos to Samantha, because she was able to say that she feels overwhelmed, and it affects her functionality. So she's kind of got that piece. But but you're so right. And that's why I really want to encourage people to always start with the functionality? Like, is it working? Is it even a problem that you don't ever fold your laundry? Is it even a problem that you do your dishes every three days? Is it really affecting you? Or are you going off of some external messaging about how your house should run? 100%. Could not agree more. So if Samantha says to you, you ask her these questions, she, she says, yes, it is actually a problem. It actually affects my functioning. I would like to get rid of some of these things. But I don't
1: even know where to start. It depends on what kinds of things we're talking about. One of the core elements of the work that I do with clients is I talk about zone one, two and three. And I find that this is a concept that is almost universally helpful for people to think about. I talk about in terms of the human being as being zone one, anything I can reach with my arms from wherever I am. So right now I'm sitting at my desk, anything I can reach with my arms without getting out of my chair, that's zone one space. And for my functioning, I should be prioritizing only things in my zone one space that are contributing to whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish in this space. However I def- define that for myself, it's up to me. So only things that are contributing to what I'm trying to achieve here, same thing at the kitchen counter. When you're standing at the kitchen counter, what are you trying to accomplish? Most people at the kitchen counter, most people, and I don't even make any assumptions about that, most people at the kitchen counter are trying to either make food or clean up most of the time. So if that's the case, The only things that should be right there in that space, zone one space, prime real estate should be the things that are contributing to making the meals or cleaning up if that's what you've defined your use of that space, right? Some people might do their podcast on their kitchen counter, and therefore it's a completely different conversation. Every person has to decide for themselves. So that's zone one. And you start with zone one, right? Always. Because you start with the human being. The human being is the center of the story. That's the thing. That's kind of like the core of my philosophy, because we typically start in our society with starting with the stuff, where does the stuff need to be? I flip that on its head. What does the human need? Because I feel like a lot of people would start
0: with the attic or the garage, right—the place where things are piling up, or oh, I have this extra bedroom, and there's we just throw everything in there. I feel like that's where a lot of people think they're supposed to start because that's what they would say is the quote-unquote problem area. But you're saying no. It's how are you functioning in your home? And so if I'm sitting at my desk. What do I do at my desk? If I'm at my kitchen counter, what am I doing here? If I'm in my playroom, what are we
1: doing there? I love that. Okay, what's zone two? That's zone one. And in order to help us keep zone one purified and functioning and minimalist so that we have just the things that we need, whatever that means. And it could even mean memorabilia. I'm not saying you shouldn't keep fi- pictures of your family on your desk. If that contributes to you feeling good as you're sitting at your desk trying to get whatever it is that you're trying to get done, then that's perfectly valuable. Every person decides for themselves what they need. That's like rule number one. Every person decides for themselves. So zone two is the space that like I have to get up from my chair and walk across the room to get to. That's zone two storage. It's totally easy to get to, but I wouldn't want to have to stand up 25 times a day and go to my zone two to get something that I need 25 times a day. So its frequency of access decides what should be in zone one and what should be in zone two. Zone two is hugely valuable storage space, but it's across the room. I have to get up from my chair.
0: So this is why I intuitively keep my vacuum cleaner out in my kitchen, because I have small children, and you reach for it fifty times a day fifty times a day, right? I had it in the closet I, I was trying to make it a zone two, and you know what for most of my life, it was a zone two object mm-hmm. but then my life season changed, and now it's a zone one object, and that 's why it's in the kitchen, okay hundred
1: percent your instincts are right on the market on the ball, and the third zone is longer term storage and i the perfect example of what we I put. I use it as a visual example to help people understand what zone three storage is. It's a pain in the butt to get to. It's like you have to go all the way down three flights of stairs to the basement. Maybe you have to use a key to get into a storage locker. Maybe it's in your parents' basement. Maybe it's up in the attic and you have to climb a ladder. It's a pain in the butt to get to. You only want to go there a few times a year. So what do we keep in zone three storage? We keep things like Christmas decorations. We keep things like our seven years of taxes. We keep things like childhood memorabilia. We keep things that we don't need to access on a frequent basis. Again, it's all based on frequency of access. How often am I gonna reach for this thing? And therefore does it deserve to be in zone one? Should it be in zone two or should it be, could it be relegated to zone three? Okay, so is in terms of decluttering, can you almost reverse
0: engineer this and say, okay, here's this, you know, earplugs sitting on my desk, this is not something I ever need at my desk. And so then go, well, is it something how frequently do I need this? Okay, do I need it once a year? Do I even need it there? Like is that a way that you can qu- sort of begin to sort of ripple effect clear
1: out and declutter some spaces? Yeah, absolutely. I visualize it in my own head. I I don't know why, but I've always used the term massaging. I'm massaging my belongings. I'm pulling closer to me things that are more important and meaningful. Like your vacuum, you're pulled it closer to you because you need it more often, and pushing away things that are less instantly necessary in order to make room for, because one of the things, I have 20 years background in the catering industry. I was a maître d'hôtel and I managed the floor of dining rooms and catering events. And one of the key things that I learned from that is humans need space to move and to do stuff. And we frequently forget to leave space for the humans. And so we have to factor that in. It's valuable to push things away so that there's more room for the humans to function. And will you, is that the zones one, two, and three? Yep. And then when you get to the end of zone three, it's like, do I even need to own this?
0: (laughs) So when people talk about, so let's say they get the end of zone three and they're going, do I even need to own this? And if they're still having trouble letting go, there's a couple of things that I've seen you talk about that I thought were genius on your channel, where you talked about memorabilia and ways that you can keep, honor, and or display parts of memorabilia or your memorabilia without it, you know, maybe just living in its entirety in a Rubbermaid bin or whatever. Can you talk a minute about that?
1: Yeah, there's two things I'd like to say on the memorabilia because it is such a huge issue. One is the example that you're giving is my daughter's Playmobil collection. It was a massively important part of her childhood. If we all had to choose one thing that was like significant of her childhood, it would have been the Playmobil. So I took a selection of it and put it in a shadow box and it's literally hanging on our bathroom wall and it's so cheerful and beautiful and it honors her childhood and, you know, our parenting and it honors a whole bunch of things on many different levels. And it means we don't have to keep that great big, tote of Playmobil that's one thing so keeping a sampling some people call it a sampling some people call it I forget something else there's other terms I learned it from Judith Kohlberg who's an amazing person she has a book called chronic disorganization and it's available to the public she has two versions one for professional organizers and one for the public anybody who's interested in chronic disorganization can easily find her little book available on the internet and they might be interested in buying it the second thing I want to say about memorabilia that I think is hugely important is a measure that me personally, I use to help me decide sometimes, is it okay for me to actually let this thing go or not? When I'm when we're sitting on the fence and we're feeling ambivalent, oh, I've got this thing, I wonder if I should be letting it go or not. I want to let it go, but I'm afraid to let it go. Then we so often find ourselves in that position and it's very uncomfortable. So I came up with this visual that I think is really helpful and people seem to get If it was a white t-shirt that I was debating about, should I keep this white t-shirt or let it go? Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. If I let it go and tomorrow morning I wake up and I go, oh my God, I should have kept that white t-shirt. I could really use a white t-shirt. How difficult is it for me to go out and replace it? It's super simple. I could even go to a thrift store and for four bucks, I could get a white t-shirt. Like they're everywhere, white t-shirts, right? And if we're just talking about a white t-shirt, it's just a thing. I can easily replace the thing. It sort of echoes the minimalists advice that if you can replace it for 20 bucks or within 20 minutes, then let it go. I love having guidelines like that so that we don't hang on to just everything. The other example I give like to complete the imagery is okay what if i'm sitting on the fence and we're talking about my grandmother's pearls She gave me her pearls when I got married. It's a necklace and a pair of earrings. I've worn them a few times. They're sitting in my jewelry box, but the reality is they don't resonate with me. I don't feel comfortable wearing them. It's not my style. It's strictly a piece of memorabilia that was meaningful to my grandmother and meaningful for our relationship. I will probably never wear them again. So if I'm looking at that set of pearls and I'm sitting on the fence and I ask myself the question, if I let these go and I wake up tomorrow morning and I regret the decision, how easy or difficult is it going to be to replace them? The reality is it's impossible to replace them because they came from my grandmother. They're one of a kind. So what that identifies, using the example of the white T-shirt and my grandma's pearls, it identifies the level of risk. So the level of risk, if I make a mistake, is not the same for every item. This is a mistake that we make. We, sim- we often look at everything and only think of the money value. Or it's memorabilia, therefore I have to keep it. We put so much value on belongings, it makes it so that they're like a ball and chain and we can't let them go. So anything that we can do to identify ways that we can loosen our grip and let go of things that are less important, it means that we can hang on to things that are more important with a higher value and a higher risk value if we let them go because we can't keep everything. I'm someone who happens to believe that the chore of
0: feeding myself is one of the most annoying care tasks. And that's why I really like Factor. And when I say I really like Factor, I mean they shipped me some food and told me to eat it and make an ad. And I not only did that, but then I went back and spent my own money and bought more of them. And I can't wait till the box gets here. That's because Factor really does make eating easier. And this was on the heels of a doctor's appointment where I got very strict instructions to give my body better nutrients. So wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. And they actually do taste good. You'll get over 35 different options a week to choose from. And even I, a very picky eater, always can find something that I like. I love that they are two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factors' restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They all take two minutes in the microwave. Snacks, smoothies, breakfast, dinner. You can discover a wide variety of easy options. Sign up and save now. We've done the math. Factor is actually less expensive than takeout. And every meal is a dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. My own dietitian was stoked when I told her that I had made this decision. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast upscale options done easily. So head over to Factormeals.com slash Struggle50 and use code Struggle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while the subscription is active. That's code Struggle50 at Factormeals.com slash struggle 50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while the subscription is active. Even my husband says this is the best he's ever tried. And we've tried a lot of these. Is 2024 bringing exciting or unexpected changes to your life? Here's a secret weapon to help you face those challenges with more confidence a great term life insurance policy. I can't believe that I am 37 years old and I am excited about life insurance. But life comes at you fast. I feel like yesterday I was 25 and I wasn't thinking about stuff like this, but when my husband and I got married and we started having kids, it was one of the first conversations that he brought up. Really, Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to protect your family's financial future so you can focus on what's ahead, knowing your family's protected if something else unexpected happens. And I feel like I sleep better at night knowing that if something were to happen to he or I the other one could take care of our family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. It's all online and on your schedule. No appointments, scheduling, or piles of paperwork. Just apply when it's convenient for you. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So don't be somebody who finds when tragedy strikes, you're wishing that you would have made this choice. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meet fabric.com slash struggle. That's meatfabric.com slash struggle. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash struggle. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. I like that. What it also reminds me of is that I think sometimes when people are getting rid of things, maybe they don't want them. They don't need them. It doesn't function in their life. But it's not that having it is bringing value to their life, it's that they feel as though the act of getting rid of it is somehow betraying it, or disrespecting it, or, you know, it's just so hard to get rid of something. And I think that's a part to look at, too, because in your example, like, let's say you decide, okay, you know, I don't want the pearl earrings. I think talking about then where are they going to go is different, because if the choice is, do I keep the pearl earrings from my grandmother, or do I throw them in the trash? like, obviously, I'm not going to throw those in the trash. But if it's do I keep them? Or do I take them to a secondhand shop? Or do I donate them to a dress for success for lower income women that can't afford? Maybe then I feel like, well, that's really honoring to my grandmother, actually. And I'm going to take sort of one of the Marie Kondo tips where she talks about, you know, has this item given its gift to me? And that gift can't be taken away, even if I pass on. And maybe it's honored if I pass it on. And in that vein, I sort of wanted to share a story that I found when I was younger. So I think everyone has had an experience with their first love, right? Maybe you were 15, 16, 20. And I had this box of memorabilia from my first love, right? This is the, you know, just... Life changing, you know, you'll never forget that person and pictures and love letters and these things. And when I got engaged, I said, you know, I think as we move into this new space, I don't want to bring this box, right? Like it was a sweet relationship and it gave me so much, but I don't need to keep hanging on to for lots of reasons we could go into what the emotional significance of these things are for me when I move into this new space with my husband and my, you know, like that. And, but the stopping point, Allison, was that I couldn't bring myself to throw it in the trash. And it's not like somebody, I can't re-gift pictures of me and my 16-year-old boyfriend. And you know what I ended up doing was I had a good friend at the time Who was sort of mentoring me and I said, you know, I'd really like to sit down with you and show you my box and I want to show you every picture and I want to read you every letter and I want to tell you about this relationship that I had that shaped the course of my life and how sweet it was and how bittersweet it was and the things that still mean something to me today and I want you to know, I want to tell you the story and when I'm done telling you the story, I want to give you the box and I don't ever want to hear about what you do with the box. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, I know logically she threw the box in the trash. She's not keeping this box, but I was removed from the significance of putting in the trash. That's not what I did with it. I told the story, I honored the story, and I handed the box gingerly over to her, and she said out loud to me, I will take care of this for you, and I will honor it. And obviously, it didn't need to go somewhere, and I don't even like to say out loud that I don't in the trash, but it was such a cool way of honoring this thing that was this memorabilia, but it didn't serve my life anymore. But I didn't want it to go in the trash. And so I love to share that story, because it was one of my better strokes of genius about how to kind of get rid of something that had that weight to it.
1: It's so powerful, that story. It's a very, very beautiful, elegant, and just infused with honor, what you did for yourself, for the relationship, for that other person, for that collection, on every level, it was just filled with honor. And You found your solution, which is beautiful and and phenomenal, that you liberated yourself from the weight of that ownership of that thing. It takes a lot of courage to do that. A lot of the people that I'm dealing with, that I'm working with, that I'm conversing with, haven't yet gone to the place where they could have that confidence or that courage to do that. So what we're doing is always just exploring anything that they could possibly do to liberate themselves. Could they reduce the collection? I often encourage people to explore the meaning of the thing. So the meaning of the relationship, the meaning of the pictures, what might you do in the future? I still have my tiny collection. I've reduced it down to very minimal, but that collection that you were just talking about, I've still got mine and I've still got it tucked away because I haven't been able to let it go yet, but it's very small. One thing I did get let go of was my collection of journals. I had a whole years and years of books that I had filled with writing, years and years from about age, I don't know, 16 to 25 or something like that. And when I started going on my real journey of decluttering for myself, it's a whole process. I've been on this journey for 11 years now. And in about year five, I actually hired a professional organizer to help me get past some of the things that I was struggling with. And just by having her working with me off on my own, I went off on this tangent and I said, I want to deal with my journals. And I did it and I shredded them, all of them. I ripped them out of their books, I shredded all the paper, I threw the covers of the books into the garbage, and I feel fantastic because what I realized is the purpose of those books, and this gets back to the meaning of the belonging, what was the purpose of those books? The purpose of those books was to help me in that moment to work through issues and to learn and to move beyond whatever issues I was struggling with. They were like work papers, working through issues. And now it's like five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years later, I don't need to go back and see the work that I did on those issues. I've moved way beyond those issues. You are the work that you did. Exactly. So the books served their purpose. That's one of the things that I do love about Marie Kondo philosophy is thank the thing for what you got from it, and then move on and let it go. And that that was one of the examples of how I applied that philosophy. Absolutely. Well,
0: and so when Samantha talks about, I grew up moving around, I think it's really significant that that's how she starts it, because she's telling us that the emotional issues around getting rid of things probably has to do with the sense of either instability or impermanence that she felt when she was younger. You know, we typically associate the stability or the permanence of being in one place with the concept of home. Right. Home is not transient. Home doesn't change day to day or even month to month. And I think a lot of people who either it could be that you had a great, wonderful family and you moved around a lot. It could be that you experienced some adverse childhood experiences, whether that's abuse or a loss. And I think that brings a new level of complexity into our things. And I think it's important to recognize that. and I think it sounds like Samantha does. and and to honor that, like we've been talking about, where we say, okay, you know, this broom, that, you know, is falling apart. What is that bringing up for me that fear of getting rid of that? Is it that I used to not be able to afford another broom? Is it that we grew up poor, and I can hear my meemaw in my head saying, you know, don't waste things, you know, good people don't waste things? Is it that the transient nature of getting rid of things, you never got to hold on to anything long enough to feel a sense of home? And there's no easy answer to that. But just being willing to say these are valid things to experience around my stuff. And I think that there are also some things you can do. First of all, I always want to say like, there's nothing wrong with recognizing that's why I want to hold on to things. And so I'm going to hold on to them. Hold on to them. If, if that's where you are in your journey, and you need that comfort, that reassurance... Hold on to them. Now, if maybe Samantha says, well, it is affecting my functioning, well, but maybe we can find ways to keep those things in a way that doesn't affect your functioning, right? And that's where we get creative. But maybe she does say, no, I really do, you know, kind of need to get rid of it. And I think that sometimes we don't have to meet it head on. Like I have this picture in my online shop and you can buy it as a print or you can download it for free. And it says, this home is a safe home and I am safe in it. And I think sometimes we need these visual reminders. This is not my childhood home. I am safe here. This is my, you know, stable home. And I think there's a lot of things we can do in our environment that can help us kind of gain that reassurance we need so that we can maybe sometimes let go of an item
1: we need to. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk in in those terms about comparing the childhood home versus the today home and how we can create our today home to feel more secure. That's very beautiful the way you just described that.
0: Well, thank you. And it kind of brings, just because I talked about hanging a piece of artwork, this question I thought was really interesting. This is from Kitty. It says, one of my struggles is decorating which sounds stupid as I write it. But when I look around my house with its crappy mismatched decor and its dirty walls, kid destroyed couch, hand-me-down furniture and lack of any style, I'm defeated and deflated. I'm not talking about high-end interior decoration, although what, what I wouldn't do to win the lottery. I would like my house to look more like a family lives here and less like squatters do. How do you hang photos? How do you paint walls? How do you feel good about your space? And this question almost makes me have tears in my eyes because I feel like when you're talking about our relationship to our space and how do we make a home? And I was just curious if you had any thoughts
1: on that. I certainly don't specialize in interior decoration, but I have got an image that, and a notion that I developed several years ago, which I think might be helpful here. You've probably heard of home staging. When people are putting their house on the market, they want to sell a home, the real estate people want to be able to bring strangers in and walk them around and show them the place. And what you want is for anybody walking in to be able to imagine themselves being able to live there. Therefore, it's important that the decor in the space be neutralized so that anybody can imagine themselves living there. That's the goal. So in staging, and I'm not a home stager, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but my understanding of home staging is neutralizing the environment, taking out the personal, the over personal from the environment. And when I realized that number of years ago, what I realized is my personal goal working with clients is to do the exact opposite. My goal is to reach inside of the human being reach inside of the human being and help them extract and pull out whatever is personal and meaning for them and then infuse their environment with who they are and what's meaningful to them. There's no such thing as it should be this way, it should be that way. Don't have to worry. I personally don't think the focus needs to be on how to hang a picture. The focus could be perhaps better invested in what do I want to be looking at it every every day that makes me feel good that reinforces my feeling of pride about my family and I'm a good mom and I my beautiful kids and my kids love each other and look at them having a great activity in this picture or that picture That's what matters. It doesn't matter what frames they're in. It doesn't matter what wall they go in. It doesn't matter how they're hung. It's the images. It's the life inside. It's the personal connection and the resonance with the person and their life. That's what the value of home decor is. Whether it's color, whether it's I want to have a yellow wall because yellow makes me feel cheerful, then that's the right color to have on the wall. There's no right and wrong. The answers are inside of us. That's my view. I love it.
0: And I think, obviously, if we're worried about, oh, is it aesthetic? Does it look right together? There are obviously people you could ask to come in and tell you that. You could get a handyman to hang photos. But I think, I mean, I hear Kitty asking the deeper question that you're really answering, which is, we don't have to worry about creating some sort of aesthetically cohesive look. If you want that, you can do that. It's more about, as you say, kind of unstaging the space and getting into, you know... (laughs) When she says the crappy mismatched decor, the dirty walls, the kid destroyed couch, some of that is just changing the
1: way you look at those items. It's a life that's being lived in. When I look at my sink of dirty dishes, if I get up in the morning and I look at my sink of dirty dishes, I can either say, Oh, Allison, you know, you lazy slob, you should have debushed the dishes last night, or I can say, Aren't we lucky we had a wonderful dinner last night? Yes. And they're like, I have a crappy kid destroyed couch. I have
0: cats. My couch is gross to look at. I mean, there are stains on it. There is cat hair on it. But you know, the meaning of that couch is a life well lived. Now it's not pretty to look at. But what I did was right above that couch on our windowsills are hung these handmade ladybugs that my three year old made. And I feel like it's the perfect representation of, okay, we don't love the couch, we'd like to get a new couch, the couch isn't nice looking, it doesn't, I don't feel warm and fuzzy when I look at it. But in conjunction with these handmade ladybugs, there's something about them together. I mean, they're whole, they're up there with scotch tape, there's something about that picture together, that gives that
1: couch meaning, right? It's not squatters that live here. It's oh, the little kids. I think that it's really important that we recognize that every phase of life that we're in has different needs and we're focusing on different priorities. Right now, anybody with kids growing up, like in Kitty's House, the focus is raising a family, supporting those kids so that they can go out and have friends, supporting those kids so they can go out and get an education, supporting the parents so that they can support the kids. That's what it's all about right now in the family. My personal home, for example, right now, my kids have moved up, moved up grown up and moved out. And so now it's just my husband and I, the phase of life that we're in is completely different. Our home, we have more space, we have more peace, there's fewer dirty dishes in the sink. It's a different phase of life. If we aspire to a style or an aesthetic that is beyond our reach, because it's not appropriate for the phase of life that we're in, we're guaranteeing ourselves to be dissatisfied. If we rather, like you did with your couch and with the ladybugs, if we rather say, This is the phase of life I'm in right now and honor it and say, I want to be a great parent. What's important to me is to have a comfortable, warm, fuzzy family home and couch where we can all cuddle up together and we're not going to be stressed out about spilling the chocolate milk on the couch or whatever. What's more important is our time together. Then the stains on the couch become much less important. And then later on, when the kids are grown up and moved out, you can get a pretty couch or you can always put a cover over it or something if you want to. And when she says the mismatched decor, I want to bet money.
0: That that decor is something that she got off of a shelf somewhere because she thought to herself, that looks like something that would be hung on an adult's wall, right? As opposed to something meaningful. And I think what you're saying can go hand in hand with what I'm about to say, which is sometimes when we are in the trenches of little kid life, sometimes when we're thinking about decor, you know, we do want to be reminded that we're people outside of this phase of life. And one thing that comes to me is, I mean, you know, I'm thinking, Kitty, do you have a favorite band? Do you have a favorite band? Do you have a favorite painting? Do you have something you loved? Maybe because when you were in college before kids, maybe you had those band posters on the wall. Now, you may not want to tack them up on the wall, but you can frame it. You can make it look like an adult lives there and and have these representations of, you know, this is this is who I am and that makes me happy to look at. You know, if you've got some sort of live, laugh, love, nondescript sconce on the wall, because that's kind of what you thought adults put on the walls. Maybe that's why it's not speaking to you. So I I would lean into both, like lean into, okay, let's put the ladybugs on the wall and lean into, this is my favorite band. Why did I ever take that poster down? My husband and I have this, it was supposed to be a game room, but it was sort of our guest room slash where he was working for the longest time. And it just kind of became the doom room. We dumped everything there. And we decided that hey, when we sell this house, we will have to stage this area. And then we will be mad at ourselves that we waited until we were leaving to make it like a nice, cool area. (laughs) So we redid the area and we didn't do anything like we didn't paint anything or do any construction, just simple, you know, got rid of some things, brought a couple of little bookcases and chairs in. And When we stepped back, we looked at it and it's our favorite place in the house because it's the only place in our house the kids don't go. (laughs) And we find ourselves hanging out here all the time. And sometimes my husband will even sleep up here because it just it almost feels like a little bachelor pad. It it feels like a little one room loft. We didn't want to buy new pictures. So we ended up putting some pictures of some renderings that I did when I was in college as a costume design student on the walls. We have a, a throw that says, I wait here for you forever, as long as it takes. And we just tacked it up on the wall. And so we joke with each other that like, we come up here to sort of cosplay like single people living in a loft in New York, because, you know, the majority of our house is dedicated to sort of a kid centric space. And so I think there's a way to sort of lean into both of those things at once. You know, what makes me happy? Because if you put something on the wall that makes you happy to look at, all of a sudden, it doesn't bother you as much that it doesn't match the theme.
1: 100%. Yes.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
3: If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
1: Anything that we can do to recharge our batteries and fuel ourselves so that we can continue giving to other people and doing whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, that's so valuable. Okay. I feel like we have question f- time for maybe
0: one more question. And I thought this one was interesting. This is from Aria. She says, my home life and my work life blur into endless chaos. Do you have some tactics for how to separate and manage the mental and physical clutter when that clutter meshes into inappropriate times, i.e. I cannot turn off work on off days because I'm very available to my clients or I'm at work, but I'm worried about the mess in the kitchen. And you know, she's kind of talking about mentally, how do I turn it off? But what I was reminded when I read this is that throughout this pandemic, we've had more and more people staying at home And where it used to be, well, home is my home life and my family and office is my office. And, you know, the bar is my social life. And then I go to the library to knit, like, all of a sudden, everything's at home. And I'm curious what any kind of insight you have on when we think about organizing our stuff, is there a way to organize our stuff that helps us with those boundaries and delineations And I'm thinking particularly for someone that doesn't have the obvious option of, oh, yeah,
1: just put it in your home office, right? Because not everybody has a home office. Reminded of the notion of what's enough. So, for example, typically, well, one of the themes in people feeling absolutely overwhelmed and being very ambitious in their career or whatever, trying to squeeze in so many things in 24 hours, there's a density to what they're trying to pack into 24 hours and things overlap and they don't get time off. And I find it very helpful to pull it back and try to identify what is enough. If I give support to my clients, what is just enough support to my clients? What is just enough housekeeping? It's very much resonating with all of the language that you use, which is just enough to get myself started on the next day, for example. Because when we're being ambitious professionally and out in the world, it's sort of like a black hole. It will suck out everything that you will give it. We have to make the boundaries ourselves. And we only have 20. Okay, here's another thought. And I'm bouncing a little bit on this one. I will confess time management productivity is not my zone of comfort. And it's I don't specialize in it because it's not something that I feel that I master on the one hand. And it's not a place where I feel comfortable speaking. My zone of comfort is physical stuff and emotional attachment and skill development and getting people unstuck. That's where, especially with their physical belongings and helping people get refocused. But this comes up a lot. People who are stuck with feeling overburdened with their how they manage their time and their space. One of the most powerful things that any of us can do is to remember that we only have 24 hours in a day. It's just like money. You only have so much. We're accustomed to talking about money and money being a finite resource. You only have so much money to get through the month or to get through the year. And we function with whatever money we've got. Um, or we keep sliding into debt and it's obvious. We can see it right there on the balance sheet. But what we forget often is that we only have 24 hours in a day and we only have so much energy and time, but we spend our energy and our time as if it was an infinite, as if they were infinite resources and they are not. So anybody who's struggling with time and energy management, it's recommended that they spend a little bit of time doing, I just sent one to a client yesterday. It's a, a sheet, like a spreadsheet, and you basically note down how you're spending your time for a 24 hour period over a week. And you do that for like two weeks. And it gives you feedback about how you are actually spending your time and your energy. Because frequently when we're feeling overwhelmed and like our boundaries are all intermeshed and we're not taking care of our fundamental needs, it's because we're spending our time and energy more in places where maybe it's not the best and less where we actually need it. And so we need to get a portrait of where we're actually spending it. And this is based on the concept that any financial advisor would have us do. If you're trying to get your finances into, under control, first start by identifying where are you actually spending your money. Let's start there and then massage and put more here and less from there. And it's the same thing with time and energy because they're finite and resources.
0: What it also reminds me of is it'd be interesting not only to look at how I'm spending my time, but also mentally where am I? How much of the day do I spend thinking about those dishes? How much of the day am I spending thinking about those clients? And I'm reminded of a couple of things that have really worked in my home is I sort of famously have the dirty dish rack, right? Because for reasons that are not important to this podcast, I sometimes have a difficult time taking a dish using a dish rinsing it off putting it in the dish i mean it's just a lot of steps for me right i can do about half those steps with ease <laughs> so i got a dish rack because what was happening was that when when the dishes were piled up in the sink it was very overwhelming to me i couldn't have access to the sink and now i'm lo- thinking about what a huge mess it was when i got a dish rack and put it next to the sink and started stacking up the dirty dishes for some reason the same amount of dishes stacked organized on a rack seems so much less intimidating and fewer dishes actually even than when they're bundled in the sink. And I'm, I'm also thinking about you know when we are looking at how much time am I spending thinking about these things versus doing these things, I'm wondering if there are these small organizational steps that someone like Aria could take where, okay, you don't maybe have 10 minutes in the morning to do all the dishes, but do you have three minutes to put them on a dish rack? Because then maybe you won't think about them so much because they're not cluttering the space. They're not, you know, oh, it's such a mess. It's like, no, it's staged, right? It's there ready to go when you have time. And maybe there would be a comparable way of sort of, it's almost like when she needs to work, she needs a way of triaging the home stuff. And when she's at home, she needs a way of triaging. And there's, I can't help but think that there's got to be some visual and organizational systems that could help her feel as though, okay, these things have been bookmarked to be taken care of.
1: And I don't have to sit here and think about them. So what you've just identified with the dish rack is it's a container, you have given a specific container that has been earmarked for a purpose. And so you've legitimized the dirty dishes, which is the perfect solution in your situation. It's a perfect solution. When they were sitting in the sink, they don't really belong in the sink because it makes the sink not functional. It makes the sink difficult to access. So when you want to fill up that big pot of water to make pasta at lunch, you can't do it because there's all kinds of dirty dishes. So to make the sink functional, you created a reserved specific space for the dirty dishes. And that was a perfect solution. So if anybody like, for example, Aria looking at something that's dysfunctional, the bothering her, if it keeps bothering her, I would encourage her to look at it and try to ask herself the questions. In what way is it bothering her? Is it that she's reminded of it all the time? Is it that there's some guilt associated with it? And if there's guilt, where is the guilt coming from? Is it some old cassette in her brain that was, you know, doesn't need to be there that she could replace with something else? Is it reasonable to feel guilty about it or is it perfectly normal to have dirty dishes, for example? And what other options might exist? So it's when we take any individual specific little thing exactly as you did with the dirty dishes in the sink, and look at it and ask ourselves, what is necessary here? And what don't I need? And then what is a simple solution to containerize and legitimize the thing?
0: That is awesome. We get away from the scripts about what should be in our home. And we just look at what is actually in our home, if we we can make the decision to get rid of some things that aren't functioning, but when things are in our home, just legitimizing it and giving it permission to exist allows you and frees you up for the creativity to go, okay, so then we need a system here. We need a container. We need a place for these to exist that doesn't impede the functioning of the sink, that doesn't have it always on my mind. I love that because I'm thinking of so many things in my home that, you know, It reminds me of when I used to, when my kid was a newborn and I would change her diaper. And we soon found that because the doors closed all the time for nap, the dirty diaper bin made the room smell. And we were like, oh, she can't sleep in there. So we started, we moved it out into the hallway. Well, when you're changing a baby's diaper and then you have the dirty diaper, well, but now you have to put the baby into the crib. You're not just like walking out with it. And so I would toss them into the hallway thinking, well, I'll toss them into the hallway and then I'll pick it up on my way out. Except I never picked it up on my way out. So I always had this pile of pee-pee and poo-poo diapers right outside the nursery. And then i walk by and be like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. I can't believe I've done that. It's so disgusting. But one day I really did look at them and legitimize them. Like, you know what? This is what's happening right now. This is like low on the totem pole of things that need to be solved in my life. And I just put a wastebasket there right where the pile was so that as I tossed them out of the room, they were going right into a little trash can. And now I can empty the trash can when it's full. And I just legitimized the pile of dirty diapers and gave them a container. And you know what? It was a short season of our life and it's not an issue anymore. And I'm glad that I didn't beat myself up or make myself sort of do what I should have done with them.
1: Because at the end of the day, who's got time for that? I have three other, uh, uh, echoes on that on the theme of categorizing and legitimizing um when i'm working with clients we always come across things that they're not ready to make a decision about yet decision making is very very difficult i don't know what to do with this thing whatever this thing is i don't know if i should keep it or if i should let it go if a person is really stuck on it the worst thing that we can do is just put it down Because then we're just creating chaos. If we're really close to, like, I've got a lot of categories and things are going well, and I have this one thing I don't know what to do with. If I have a box called something like the ripening box or the indecision box or something, a space that is actually a container, we can put things in there that we have no idea what to do with right now and then come back and revisit it later. And frequently, just the passage of time, when we come back and we look at that thing in the future, sometimes it's obviously but we're ready to make a decision because we've just let some time pass. So that's one. The second one is when we're organizing and creating categories and putting labels on all kinds of categories, frequently we end up with things that they just don't fit into a category. They just don't. And so we use this word called "mishkebibble. So, the Mishkabibble box is just like all the random stuff. It's like rather than calling it the junk box, it's the Mishkabibble box. And if we don't know what to do with it, just toss it in there. It'll be safe. You know, it's not lost. If you need it, you can go and look for it. It's a safe place to put things. And the third one is many of my clients are creative types and they have bits of pipe and bits of leather and bits of fabric and bits of plastic and all these things. And they say, but I might be able to use it one day, which is totally legitimate, but they don't know what to do with it. And they feel everybody's always saying, oh, just get rid of it. It's just a piece of junk. But they're creative people and they see things in terms of possibility. So they see, they know that they need raw materials in the future. So we create a category called raw materials and that gives them a name and legitimacy. And we can Create a box for it, and put all the stuff in that one box all mixed up, and they're happy and they get to keep the stuff that they need, but it's got walls and a container, and it doesn't take over the whole house mm. I love that there
0: I think that there are probably a lot of people here, and, and we we'll wrap up with this, but I just there's probably a lot of people that resist reaching out to an organizer because they know they're not ready to purge things. They're not ready to get rid of a bunch of stuff. They're not ready to you know, go through that emotional process. And what I'm hearing is that you would be a safe person for someone to reach out and say, I'm not ready to do some big declutter, overhaul, get rid, downsize, but I need some help. And I love that because you deserve to function in your space. You deserve to have someone that can meet you compassionately with creative solutions on how you can raise your quality of
1: life, even if you're not ready to do some big purge. Not everybody needs to purge stuff. What I focus on is helping people get unstuck. That's the way I think of it. People come to me and they say, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get past this thing. It's like this big boulder in my way and I can't get past it. So we focus on what can we do about the boulder? Does it need to be you know, blown up and then it's gonna be a whole bunch of little pieces and you can just step over it? Or can we figure out a way to get around it? Or can we figure out a way to look at it differently and it'll be see-through? that's what we do is we focus on whatever is blocking the person. I sometimes do sessions with people and we do one session or two sessions and that's all they need in order to get unstuck and then they're off and they go on their own. We don't necessarily embark on a process where we're working together weekly for the next year or something like that. Every single person has different needs and I adapt my services and for whatever the person needs. It's totally, totally flexible and absolutely meets the person where they are. Not everybody needs to get rid of their stuff. That's a very dangerous assumption. I think that that's one thing about the professional organizing industry that is a shame is that we've got this reputation of being we're going to tell everybody to throw at all their stuff. I absolutely do not agree with that. Not helpful. Well, Alison, where can people find you if they want to find you on social media, if they want to work with you? The easiest thing to do is just to Google me and find my website. That's the absolute easiest thing to do. Alisonlush.ca is my website, so you will find me. And uh, there's information there. There's answers to questions. There's a link to a 20-minute introductory uh, exploratory call, which is free. I phone the person. We have a 20-minute phone call to see what their needs are and what services I'm offering and figure out if we'd make a good team together. So if People are curious about my services. They'll get information there and they can reach out to me. And I'm on social medias as well. But that's the main place is my website or my TikTok alongside Casey, Casey Davis. <laughs> and Allison is with 1L. Yes. Okay. And, and
0: she's also linked on my website. So if you go to strugglecare.com and you click on resources and home care, she is one of the resources that I list there. If you want to check out her website.
1: And what is your TikTok handle? I think it's Allison Lush underscore enough. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Allison Lush underscore enough. Great. Well, Allison, I can't thank you so much. This
0: has been an awesome conversation. And I hope that everyone goes and follows Allison. If you don't follow me, come follow me too. And Allison, it's been a joy. Thank you so much.
1: It's been such an honor. Thank you very much. And congratulations again.
0: Thanks.
4: Listen into to Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.